Central News. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is December 30th, 2019. It's Monday. And 2019 is almost gone. And it's been an amazing 2019, uh, per se, because it's the year that things started in one way, so they were dishing out rubbish, and rubbish has just come back to bite them in the tushy at the end of the year. It's like a boomerang, isn't it, guys? So, for many of us, 2019 has been bittersweet. For me, it's been miserable. Um uh in in many aspects but you know what's the what's the point of living if it's not interesting right if you're not faced with adversity uh what's the point you need adversity to be able to what is it called to give spice to your life? <laughs> um, I think I, I, I got the extra hot ghost pepper habaneros. <laughs> I'm so done with it. I'm so ready for 2020. I'm so ready for, uh, you know, a change of scene. Um, and I'm so ready for what's to come. I mean, it's, it's pretty evident something's brewing and it's about to go. Uh, we've seen some really great tweets coming out from our president, um, over the weekend, uh, that were incredible. Uh, he made it clear as to where and what, but, you know, just like I did last year, I think in retrospect, looking at what has happened and what will come is, uh, something that we should revisit uh, in that respect of understanding where we will be going. Now, our president, after almost 24 hours of not tweeting, tweeted out, thank you to highly respected Jewish leader, Dov Hikund, for his wonderful statements about me this morning on Fox and Friends. So our president is tweeting, I believe we should be getting a tweet storm soon. Uh, Another thing is um, that I wanted to say about the president is that, uh, first of all, I love Dan Scavino. Like, I've told you guys when I saw him, he looked he looked totally different but so adorable. He is such a, you know, you could see the good emanating from him. But the, um, what do you want to call those? Tourist videos or come to, uh, come to our city videos that Power Tide put together to welcome San Francisco? is incredible it depicts what san francisco is like a hundred percent uh we did see that a wave of people have been banned from twitter because the president retweets them so i think a lot of people at the moment are thinking oh i'd love to be retweeted by the president but uh, i don't want to be banned uh so uh they're doing that that's what they do they 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 create this feel of censorship and fear to people so that they don't do things or they don't say things, right? That's the way evil works. Evil works in a way of saying, if you say something, look what's going to happen. I made an example of this person. Like, you need to, like, look. Mm -hmm. This is what's going to happen to you. So this is how they operate, right? They threaten us, and if that doesn't work, they attack us. And if that doesn't work, they will rain down an attack to the point that your feet can no longer sustain you and you just collapse underneath your own feet. Mm, something I know way too well. Um, and now today I want to talk a little bit before we get into uh, more of the uh, 
I would say stuff we want to talk about. I want to give you guys a good glimpse of how everything that has happened over the year is exactly what I had said in 2018 would happen. Uh, we see Turkey at the forefront. We see Syria. We heard about bombings in Iran. We heard about everything. There was just another attack in Somalia. Uh, not a lot of people are talking about that and how Turkey has run to their rescue uh, because there was a blast in Somalia. Things are happening really, really quickly, and, um, you know, we're seeing that there's a rise in religious attacks. You know, there's one thing that a lot of the, the saying goes, uh, when you're sitting at a table, you don't talk politics and religion, specifically religion, because that's very personal, right? It's very personal. So that is how, you know, you get under people's skin, by weaponizing religion, which is very, like I said, personal. And personal lies, right? And we're seeing a rise in that. And we have uh, Pompeo, who is going on a very big trip, uh, you know, come the new year, that has got people concerned of where he's going. Uh, I'll play his briefing uh, today. But first, I want to play his clip from Fox This Morning and what he had to say. Take a listen. In the past week in the New York City area, this guy, while the attack happened in Muncie, which is about 30 miles north of the city, he came back to Harlem. It's something this city is dealing with and an issue as far as attacks against Jews and Christians around the world as well. So here to get more insight on this and many other topics we had this morning, Mike Pompeo, U.S. Secretary of State. Uh, Mr. Secretary, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's our pleasure. We appreciate it. Um, it thank not, you. Thanks for having me on this morning. Absolutely. Happy New Year. We hope you had a great Happy Christmas Year, as well. And we want to ask you about this, this unfortunate anti-Semitic attack. But as the Secretary of State, you step back and see the whole world, and you see the persecution of Jews and Christians. Talk to us about the state of sort of the war on religion, what's happening, and what the United States is doing about it. Boy, it's important to put it into context. We have seen... Uh, increased uh, anti-Semitism around the world. Um, we've all observed Christians under threat in the Middle East uh, and other parts of the world as well. The President Trump has made a true pillar of America's foreign policy, religious freedom, the right of each of us to practice our faith in the way that we desire to do so. And uh, we work hard at this. We work hard. We've got a uh, special envoy who handles anti-Semitism issues. We've got a special envoy, uh, former Governor Brownback, who handles religious freedom issues. We make a real priority working to message about how tragic and unacceptable it is for any nation to persecute any individual as a result of their religious beliefs and their duty to protect these uh, these practitioners of their faith mm -hmm. in a way that preserves their security and allows them to practice their own beliefs. Secretary, we've seen um, over Christmas, uh, you know, some horrific attacks on Christians. And by the way, the, the most persecuted religion on the planet right now, um, beheadings, um, a village attacked, um, uh, and, and seven killed there, as well as the kidnapping of a young teenage Christian girl. Uh, why are we seeing this rise in attacks, specifically um, for Christians? It's difficult to know precisely what the, uh, the cause of these increases are. Uh, we can begin to identify them. They're different in different places. Uh, but, Rachel, as you've seen, too, around the world, uh, respect for religious faith is something that governments have a responsibility to do. Uh, I've talked at some length about China and how it's persecuting yeah. over a million Muslims in Xinjiang province. Uh, leaders all around the world have a responsibility to protect 
their citizens and permit them to practice their faith. And so there are lots of different reasons for this. I, I've seen it in Christian communities around the world. Uh, we have a responsibility in the United States to work diligently to help protect these Christians wherever we can as well, Rachel. Absolutely. Mr. Secretary, um, obviously a huge Fox News alert the other, uh, just a moment ago. Uh, the U.S. carries out precision defensive strikes across five sites in Iraq and Syria in retaliation for attacks by Iran-backed militants following Friday's attack that killed an American contractor and injured U.S. service members. Well, what do we need to know about that, Mr. Secretary? Well, it begins by an understanding that this was a defensive action uh, designed to protect uh, American forces and American uh, citizens in Iraq. Uh, and it was aimed also at deterring Iran. This was an Iranian-backed uh, rogue militia uh, acting to deny the Iraqi people their basic sovereignty. It's uh, Qasem Soleimani, it's uh, Ayatollah uh, working to expand their terror campaign all around the world. They, they took a strike at an American facility. Uh, President Trump's been pretty darn patient. Uh, and he's made clear at the same time that when uh, Americans' lives were at risk, we would respond, and that's what the Department of Defense did yesterday. Mr. Secretary, you, you, this administration has pursued a maximum pressure effort against the Iranian regime. Uh, if, if rockets are being launched against our contractors and our bases in Iraq, you know as this is approved by Iran. What are we, how is Iran responding to this? What do you anticipate from them going forward, their nuclear ambitions? Where are we in our stare down with Iran right now? So it's the case that this administration made a fundamental shift from where President Obama and his team were. They had green-lighted the Iranian nuclear program. They had allowed this terror campaign to continue. Indeed, they had permitted funds to flow into Iran to support and underwrite these very terror campaigns yeah. that we've seen carried out. We took a, we took a very different direction. We've put uh, enormous pressure to deny resources to Hezbollah, to try and deny resources uh, to Shia militias like the ones that uh, came after uh, American, an Iraqi facility in Iraq yesterday where there were Americans working to, working to counter ISIS. That's what the Americans are in Iraq for, to take down uh, the very terror threats that are protecting, uh, that are putting at risk the Iraqi people. Uh, our mission continues to try and get the Islamic Republic around to behave like a normal nation. We laid out back in May of last year after the president withdrew from the JCPOA, the nuclear deal. We, we laid out our, our demands, our requirements. We just want Iran to stop their terror campaign. We want them to agree that they won't have nuclear weapons, and that they won't enrich uranium. As long as that regime uh, is there, basic as long as that regime is there, that theocracy, radical Islamist regime, you, you, we can't expect them to act like a normal nation, can we? All right, let me just stop it right there. Let me just give you some insight here. So first of all, uh, Pompeo said that it was a rogue militia, which means that they have separated the Iranian government or regimes into two. Okay, this is key. So this is listening to the words carefully. Now, they are the ones that... Um, you know, supposedly did this attack, okay? Uh, so they came in, this rogue militia, to attack U.S. citizens in Iraq, okay? And they're spreading terror, and they're doing all these things. Now I'm going to tell you what happened. So in the aftermath, after the attack, after eliminating them, after getting the targets, after, 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 here's what happened, the Iraq prime minister claims that he is willing to step down because of these attacks. Oh, that's clue number one. The other thing that Secretary Pompeo has 
constantly reinforces that we pulled out of it. We want them to stop enriching uranium. They're not allowed to have nuclear weapons. And, you know, in all fairness, in all fairness, you know, who are you to tell us we can't have but everybody else can have? Yes? Let's be fair. Separate country, right? We always have to be impartial. So think about it. Let's pretend, you know, you're a nation and then the bigger nation says you're not allowed to have and you're just like, why? You're not responsible. And imagine you're an adult nation that's been around longer than the person. It's like us, the teenager, right, because we're a young country, but that are more fit, more muscular, stronger and faster are telling the older guy, you know, like Iran that's been around, you know, Persia's been around for a while. You're not responsible enough to have it. And they're just like, "Mm, yeah, take a walk, uh, you know, whippersnapper. Think. So this is the dynamic. So what you're getting from Secretary Pompeo is what you can process. Here's what's really going on. They have been enriching uranium for over 50 years. We appointed them as the people to enrich the uranium. This is one of their core capabilities that they have been doing for a very, very long time. You know, this is something that we established as a market for them. And now we're saying you're not allowed to do this. It's not so much you're not allowed. Because if you take a little bit, a few days before this attack happened, their Internet went down again. Hmm? Again, the two separate regimes. So what we have is an internal battle in Iran for transparency and for the obfuscation. The fact that Iran was appointed to enrich the uranium was purely done so that the crown and the other major player nations, if you want to say, um, were able to control them. And this is why Barack Hussein Obama funded so much money to keep that cycle going. Because as long as you keep them in the dark, that's the blind spot where you can like wash money, wash gold, wash oil, and fuel and fund whatever activities you want to do. Because again, people are George Soros. Well, he's getting that money from somewhere, aside from taxpayer dollars that are being funneled here and there with big law firms like Perkins Coy and Wilkie Farr. We're talking more, you know, in-depth stuff, right? More commodities trading. Because it seems that one key thing that a lot of people are missing on reporting on is the insane correlation between corrupt clowns, i.e. Epstein, i.e. Barack, i.e. anybody and their mother and their children, of course, is commodities, oil, Gold, you know, gas, natural resources, diamonds. I mean, look at where all the Clinton foundations are. Buy mines of diamonds and gold and silver, everything. Commodities is the key. Following the money doesn't mean money, money. Because the money that they've given, that is like our sustenance right now. We have uh, the illusion that money is our sustenance. That is what, you know, they have done for us. They have made every human being on this planet slave to a currency, and in the case of the United States, a fiat currency, right? It's fake. It's not even backed. They just make it up as they go, right? It's fake. It's not gold-backed. It's not silver-backed. It's just air. So we have put in so much into something that is nothing. It, It gives us nothing but dross, yes? Nothing but draws. That is all we get. So think. We've got, 
Iran in the mix. We've got the heat map right now with Turkey. And remember, what have Iraq, Egypt, Israel, Syria, Libya, all these nations, even Iran, have said about Turkey. They're the ones housing and promoting and paying and disseminating all the weapons, all the money, all the terrorists in the Middle East. So, again, let's revisit that. Where are we at the moment with Iran? We pulled out of the agreement, right? He said that, too. We pulled out. We're not doing maximum pressure. But what nation, out of all of them around the world, is not complying with it? Let's remember which nation. That's right. Turkey. So, Turkey is not complying because, remember, Turkey is like this network, this center of taking all the oil from the Middle East to redistribute to Europe. They're the ones with the keys to the kingdom. And their main source, Iran. And who banks with um, Iran? Turkey. And who does Iran bank with? Turkey. And where do we have most of the smuggling of gold, you know, uranium, and, uh, you know, black market oil? goes from Iran to Turkey, all going through the northeastern portion of Syria or around, whatever you want to, you know, however you want to map it out, it's in that area. So, again, we have an enemy that we have so close and that we are applauding. Last year, in 2018, around this time, I was telling you how Idlib is the center of everything. Just a couple of days ago, it was made known by the president and everyone else that, oh, look, Russia, Syria, and all of these people are, you know, attacking Idlib, and Turkey needs to, it was the president that said, yeah, Turkey needs to get in there, and that is exactly the way he was speaking about Comey, the way he was speaking about McCabe, Rex Tillerson, remember, great job, you're the leader here, you do this, yeah, you're very smart, like Tina Haspel, so smart, very good, no doubt, Best in the field. Blah, blah, blah. Same thing with Turkey. <laughs> see, I, I don't see why people can't figure that out anymore. Uh, you know, it's so much has been said on that. But listen to now how Pompeo answers this portion of it. Well, what are we going to do? Should we just annihilate them is what he's asking. Warmongering. Here we go. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, look at what the Iranian people are telling their leaders today yeah. when they walk in, when they march in the streets. Uh, when they march in the streets today, they recognize that it is their leadership that has led them astray. It's their leadership that has denied them the ability to, to feed their families and to have prosperity and security. I think the Iranian people understand that their leadership's uh, activities need to change, and we have been incredibly supportive of this effort for the Iranian people to get what it is that they so richly deserve, and we will continue to support the Iranian people. I think when they stare at what happened yesterday, where they see Iranian money, launching an attack on an Iraqi facility. I think the Iranian people understand that's not the best use of uh, their money either. And I just wanted to say, you know, that Iraqi facility that the Iranians launched and all that, you know what populates that area, right? The, what, what group of people populate that area most? Yeah, that's Kurds. I mean, come on. Just look at the geography. Look at the geography. Look at the heat maps, where our Kurds are. And, you know... Secretary Pompeo answered that so eloquently. The people of Iran right now are revolting. The government is split in two, and I don't think it's being made clear enough to the people. And, and I guess for 
some reason, that's a good thing. Uh, because, you know, with the mainstream media, they like to spin things. Oh, there's a good side, a bad side. You know, for them, it's whatever side pays their bills, which is soon to run out, right? And now they're even admitting, hey, whatever I'm telling you isn't really fact, right? What did Maddo say? Oh, you can't take it as fact, but you purport that you're the news. We're an entertainment company. Well, maybe you should put a disclosure like that, that the stuff that I say isn't fact check. It's just opinion. And uh, that's it. And it's entertainment. That's maybe we should have disclosures running at the bottom. Uh, Rachel Maddow, that dude is fake news. I say what I want uh, because that is what Rachel Maddow is purporting in her um, response, his, her response to the defamation lawsuit that they are after. So what are the facts here? Government is split in two. What are the facts here? Geographically, where that Iraqi facility was, are filled with Kurds. Who did the attack? They say it was a rogue militia from Iran. So it's not blaming all of Iran. Yes? Not the government per se of Iran. A rogue militia. But while that was happening, this also happened too. Listen. And doctors and medical supplies to Somalia to treat the dozens injured in Saturday's truck bombing. At least 80 people were killed in Mogadishu. Somalia's president is blaming the armed group Al-Shabaab and he's vowing the country won't be demoralized by the worst attack for two years. Haru Matasa is covering developments from Nairobi in neighboring Kenya. Well, right now we're told that the security has been slightly increased in Mogadishu. There are a bit more police officers and soldiers, particularly at uh, security checkpoints. Uh, in terms of other things, the focus right now really seems to be on treating the injured. A lot of hospitals are unable to cope with the number of people who have been injured and the seriousness of the injuries. So Turkey has sent in uh, medical equipment and also a medical team, and that team is on the ground trying to treat people who've been injured. Those who are critical have been evacuated. We told 15 people have been sent to Turkey. So that is the main focus for most people right now, especially those with family members who are lying in hospitals waiting to be treated. The general sentiment on the ground from people is that they are angry. They keep asking, why does it take so long? Or why is it always these attacks keep happening and nothing really seems to be done about it? They're growing impatient. They're tired of seeing their loved ones dying. The government is under a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure to improve the security situation in Somalia. But right now, everyone seems to be focused on trying to treat as many people as possible. And for now, we know the latest is 15 people have been evacuated. Okay, so let's just take a little step back. Who is Al-Shabaab? Remember, Al-Shabaab was created in Somalia. Maybe we should ask Ilhan Omar for some input on this, okay? So Al-Shabaab is actually teamed up with Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda has teamed up with Hezbollah. Like, they're all one. It's Al-Qaeda, period. And that's something that Osama bin Laden, also known as Osama bin Laden, but, you know, they like to spell names differently and wrong, you know, to manufacture data, obfuscate data, and hide it, kind of like corny in the... IG report, right? Not Comey, Corny, right? So this is uh, just a coincidence that they had a bombing in Somalia while it was happening in Iraq, you know, causing wide panic. And obviously, Turkey goes to the rescue. Why? Because Turkey basically owns Somalia. They've opened up a camp to train militants, to train Islamics. Islamic militants, right, to raise them correctly, like all their other schools that they have around the world, the Ma'afat Foundation, come on. I mean, it's in your face. There's no way you can't see it. 
But the thing is that everyone's obfuscating it. This is the pieces, pieces to the puzzle, and it's not really a big puzzle. You might think it looks like a million pieces. In fact, it's like a 10-piece puzzle. It's one of those things you would get at McDonald's back in the day in your Happy Meal where you could just look at it as the, as, as the pieces fall, and you're like, well, I could connect that super easy. Or it's like a connect-the-dots picture that you knew was, you know, the face of Mickey Mouse, but you entertained it by going from dot one to two to three. So here's where we're looking at these evident pictures that we're connecting the dots on. It just so happened that ha- that happened. At the same time, at the same time, we have increased attacks by other governments against the Russians and the Turkish people, right, by Italy about them in Libya. Okay, so we talked about Libya. We've been talking about Libya, right, for a long time, how the whole nation is part of the Libyan National Army, and then this one little part where the city of Tripoli is, is backed only by the UN, Turkey, and Qatar. Hmm. So straight. Remember, Qatar, the place that the Taliban want to have headquarters in. Let's just get that clear. So we have some perspective. Listen to what the Italian PM said about Russia and Turkey being involved in Libya. Italy's Prime Minister has warned that Russia and Turkey, and not Europe, are setting the agenda on how to respond to Libya's conflict. In his end-of-year news conference, Giuseppe Conti said Russia and Turkey were only pursuing a military and not a political solution in a North African state. We must be united. We can't allow actors even much more distant from Libya to position themselves, settle their role on the Libyan scenario and claim the privacy for any solutions. Solutions which, moreover, are only military. Turkey has signed agreements with the Libyan government that controls Tripoli and some of the country's western part. A military deal now allows Turkey to dispatch military experts and personnel, along with weapons, even though there's a UN arms embargo. Conte also commented on the budget crisis a few days after his education minister resigned over the lack of funding. We have a three-year marathon before us. Very realistically, I tell you that if we do not want our country to go bankrupt, if we do not want our country to be liable for infringement proceedings, which I hope is by now clear to everybody, it would harm us very much. We need to work in a rational, serious and credible way. But Conte did offer a solution, saying, quote, the only serious and credible perspective that I can offer you is to fight tax evasion. And he yeah, let's fight tax evasion and get taxes and pay the EU because, you know, protection and stuff. <laughs> My gosh. Okay, so listen listen to this. Russia doesn't want Turkey involved in Libya, period. Israel doesn't want Turkey involved in Libya, period. Egypt doesn't want Turkey involved in Libya, period. So does Cyprus, period. So does Greece, period. All the nations of the Eastern Mediterranean are like, why is Turkey being allowed to just dominate the Eastern Mediterranean? We say no. So the fact that that Conte sits there and says, oh yeah, you know, we warn of Russian and Turkish involvement in Libya. First of all, Russia has been there for more than 40 years with one of their biggest naval bases in Syria, you know, in the East Mediterranean. Uh, Turkey coming in aggressive, saying, oh, uh, this water here by Cyprus is mine, so is this one by Greece. And now the UN has let me take over all of this in Libya because I'm their foster army. 
And you think Russia's like, yeah, totally, just come in, Turkey. We're going to work together in Libya. Russia backs the Libyan National Army. So does the U.S., so do other countries. So this is misinformation on purpose, just to confuse people. And now they're trying to bucket Russia and Turkey together, and uh, that's not the way it works. The only reason Russia has relations with Turkey is because that's their... um, I want to say backup plan, but that's like their insurance. They sold them weapons. They're like, yeah, man, try it. I know you guys want to take Russia and create Eurasia. I know the plan, but I'm going to be selling weapons to these people to be like, yo, as long as we're partners in this, you know, I got your back up to a point. But let's be straight. Russia looks after Russia first. Nobody else. And right now, what's going on in Libya is a hot mess. And this is World War III. Uh, the Libyans have already expelled all Turkish officers, all Turkish businesses. Everything has been expelled. Greece has done the same. So is Cyprus. So is Egypt. It's like, okay, oh, let me guess. All these nations have expelled Libyan ambassadors. And Libyan ambassadors coming from the Libya that's UN-backed and Qatar-backed and Turkey-backed only But no war, nothing to see here. They're working on it. And so while Turkey is going aggressively toward the eastern Mediterranean, they've got the Syria thing, and President Trump's like, hey, Turkey, you need to take care of that, right? We had an agreement. We're friends, right? So you need to take care of that. But the minute Turkey tries to enter and take over property, you know, for oil, because it's theirs, of course, you know, just like when they entered Idlib and Russia struck them with a missile and said, where are you going? You know, oh, I thought we were friends. Yeah, uh, friendship kind of stops here when you try to take over territory that we're protecting for the Syrians because that's the mutual defense agreement we have with Syria because we have our base here. So why are you stepping on our toes? You know it's inevitable. So they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Then they've got the terrorist attacking the Kurds, which the Turkish people can't stand. They slaughter them on the daily out by the border of Syria and Iraq. But everyone wants to tell you, They were just targeting, you know, Iraqis. It was Kurds, and Americans were there. And if we take out the Americans, they can't protect the Kurds. And then we can bring more animosity toward Iran. We know who's paying for this. Are you getting this? Are you starting to see the picture? There we go. So that's exactly what's going on. Then we got Somalia. So look at Turkey right now. They're on fire. They have to take care of Libya because they've been assigned to do so. They're taking care of Somalia that had an explosion because they're assigned. They're like the foster country. Right. Giving them weapons, training their soldiers and everything and setting aid, sending aid. Remember, Turkey supposedly broke. Right. So they're sending everything to Somalia, sending reinforcements to Libya. Then they've got the Greece, Cyprus, Egypt, Israel, Syria, Libya, you know, fire going on where they're like, oh, this is all our water. And they're like, no, it's not. And everyone's like, well, you know, we're going to stay out of it. But Turkey, this is uh, 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 you're being bad, but they're doing nothing. And there is President Trump saying, hey, take care of Syria, too. Imagine being Turkey right now. You are spread so thin. Guess what happens? You collapse under your own feet because the more fronts of fire you have to fight, the less focus you can have on each direction so you get clamored that's basically what's going on here this is how you show the true face of the enemy is by showing how many open fronts they have and right now they had so many attacks (laughs) so many fires being lit that it was unexpected and boom there it is so this is how things are working out now i want us to listen to the press briefing by uh, our Secretary of State Pompeo um, at the White House today. Uh, good evening. 
myself, the Secretary Esper, uh, Chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff Milley came uh, here to Florida today to brief the President on the activities that have taken place uh, in the Middle East over the course of the last uh, 72 hours. Uh, I will leave to uh, Secretary Esper to talk about the military activity, but I want to put it in the context of our policy with respect to the Islamic Republic of Iran. Uh, the attacks that took place at an, against an Iraqi facility threatened uh, American forces. This has been going on now for uh, weeks and weeks and weeks. This wasn't the first set of attacks against this particular Iraqi facility and others with their American lives at risk. And today, uh, what we did was take a decisive response that makes clear what President Trump has said for uh, months and months and months, which is that we will not stand for the Islamic Republic of Iran to take actions that put American men and women in jeopardy. Uh, we, will, we will always honor that commitment to take decisive action when that takes place. And we continue to demand that the Islamic Republic of Iran act in a way that is consistent with what I laid back out back in May of 2018 for what it is that we expect Iran to do so that it can rejoin the community of nations. And with that, I'll turn it over to the Secretary of Defense. Thank you. As we reported earlier today, the Department of Defense took offensive actions in defense of our personnel and interests in Iraq by launching F-15 Strike Eagles against five targets associated with Kitab Hezbollah, which is an Iranian-sponsored Shiite militia group. The targets we attacked included uh, three targets in western Iraq and two targets in eastern Syria that were either command and control facilities or weapons caches for Kitab Hezbollah. Uh, the uh, strikes were successful. The pilots and, and aircraft returned back to base safely. I would add that in our discussion today with the President, we discussed with him other options that are available. And I would note also that we will take additional actions as necessary to ensure that we act in our own self-defense and we deter further bad behavior from militia groups or from Iran. Thank you. Well, that was, um, uh, oops, that was super loud, wasn't it? <clears throat> that was uh, super uh, concise and simple for people to understand. Um, that was pretty awesome. And here's the thing. He made it clear. The facilities were located in Iraq, where they attacked, and also in eastern Iran, which, again, goes back to the fact that if you look at the geography, that is where the majority of what? Of... Kurds are. So I'm just pointing that out. Um, and this is, uh, you know, something that was very well orchestrated. Now, speaking of Air Force and pilots, he said everyone got back, no one got hurt. There was a weird fire at the Minot Air Force Base this weekend. So bizarre. Remember, um, uh, about a week or so ago after, you know, Space Force was actually put in, I told you that a lot of military institutions, like in the Army and in the Air Force, were commanded to hand over intelligence or facilities or forfeit their right to access to certain things. So, for example, if they were running a program like... I know, like, let's just say one out of, let me just pick one out of the hat that everybody can relate to, I guess, like Project Bluebeam, right? They would be like, well, now we're taking over it because we're Space Force, so give it to us. I'm just saying. So there's a lot of these projects and operations and stuff 
across the nation that are now being allocated to Space Force, the majority of which are coming from uh, the Air Force. Now, I, I mean, this is just a coincidence, and this is only speculation, okay? But apparently this hangar that lit up like like nobody's business, like there was Greek fire involved, right? You know what Greek fire is? Apparently people can't recreate it. But if you remember in the movies when they used to have like these um, trebuchets uh, where they used to put like these stones that were covered in oil and then they'd set them on fire and fire would still burn in water. Yeah, that's called Greek fire and nobody knows how to make it anymore. It's uh, almost 2020 and we don't know how to make it anymore. But that what I'm trying to say is it was like that. It just lit up like it was insane. You could see the actual structural things of the hangar, like the metal that didn't melt yet and stuff. So it was very high-powered, very quick fire. And considering the weather in Minot, which is just really, really cold, that wasn't really damp, because no blizzard on this end of the state, right? So bizarre. And so the statement was, oh, yeah, that's where we housed all our, like, snow equipment and stuff. And we don't know what happened. We will find out. But guess what? Media wasn't allowed. Pictures weren't allowed. Nothing was allowed. And the fire burned through the night, and they were trying to put it out in the morning. And you're thinking, snow equipment, so fiery, so much fire that you only have the skeleton of the hangar left? Like, this is a military base, you guys. If you have a fire in the barracks in an oven... That that's that's out in a in an instant. If you have a fire in any building on any base, for all of you that have served, you all know we've all been trained in fire training, right? We've all learned how to use things. We all have what is it called? Exactly, fire duty. So it's like you're on a base with thousands of Air Force soldiers, right? Both officers and not. Yes, it's close to the holidays, but they all live on base. It's a massive base, and it's a very important base. Nukes and our bombers. So very important U.S. base. And it lit up, and nobody can control the fire. Really? Like, hmm. No one says, oh, how'd that happen? It's like it would have been out in a heartbeat. If a fire like that engulfed like that, you would have to assume that there were high winds. None. You would have to assume that it was dry heat. None. It was like almost negative. It was super chilly. And for me to say it's super chilly, when I've been out in short sleeves in, you know, negative 30 degree weather, it was chilly. It was like, it's not nice. Um, And I guess that's because... The other side of the state is being hit with a snowstorm. Gosh, I can't wait to get over that kind of weather. So it's like, uh, doesn't make sense. It's it's a it's it's weather that doesn't promote a fire to be so expansive and so engulfing and so quick. And even pictures that the media took from afar because they weren't even allowed on base, and no one's talking about it except for yeah, we have snow equipment in there. It's like, oh my gosh, like who believes that? It just so happens when you're, like, forced to turn over things, just this big hangar that only has snow equipment in it, just this hangar just has snow equipment in it, um, lights up like a Christmas tree. Uh, Not like a Christmas tree. It's like Greek fire. Like, there were no weather conditions to promote it to be so strong and so fast. And you could say, well, you know, there might have been a gas tank, what, in a snowblower? In a de-icer? Like, what are they telling you? What else was in there? Hmm? But I digress. 
you know, these are things you're not going to find out. These are things they're not going to tell you because it's classified. You know, that's, that's, the way, that's, that's the one way to avoid conversations uh, and not have to say anything. You just say it's classified. And then when they tell you, show me your privilege, you're like, that's classified, too. So it's like you're you're just chasing your tail. It's like the snake. You're eating your tail. It just goes round, round, round. So we have um, a lot of stuff going around. The president hasn't been seen. People are like, yo, where is he? Pompeo Nesper went to Mar-a-Lago to see him, but we didn't see him go there. We didn't see him leave there. Like, what's going on? Yeah, here's what's going on. Nancy Pelosi's in trouble. And you know what's funny? And, I, and I'm going to just put my grievance out there. I've been talking about Paul Pelosi forever and a day. Right. And everyone's like suddenly, oh, look, Paul Pelosi did this, did that. And it's like, that's like old news. See, here I repeat, if people that were actually considering themselves news said the news when they found out the news, then we wouldn't be in this situation. Kind of like I said, when I told the world, hey, it's a wiretap. Let's just pretend I'm a fly on the wall in that skiff. It's a wiretap. Adam Schiff has no whistleblower. He's probably thrown some clown to say he heard something because, you know, it's not like he's going to be like, yeah, we've been wiretapping the president. That's like brig stuff material. There's like there's no pass go go directly to jail. There's no. But let me tell you, it's like directly to jail. So he's never going to admit to it. We have to uncover it. Right. So. If someone was talking about that and put pressure, we wouldn't even had have had the impeachment hearing. That's number one. As far as Hunter Biden, Paul Pelosi, you could have cut Nancy Pelosi at the knees by talking about Paul Pelosi. When I was telling you about Paul Pelosi, I wrote that article about Ukraine. I even gave the world the darn legal cases that cited all of their kids, Tag, Paul, all of them. All of them, including John Kerry himself, what an idiot, and his um, son-in-law. I'm just like, it's like they're doing it on purpose. It's like the right media, the conservative or the centrist media, don't want to report the news. They report it when it's comfortable for the left. Hmm. Here's another bit of news. While people are promoting, oh, look, I found Chuck Schumer at a baseball game or, you know, a Little League thing. Or, hey, look, Adam Schiff was at a social. Hey, look, Nancy Pelosi was at a 49ers game. What I'm telling you is these people are not allowed to communicate with each other. And this is how they mingle and pass messages. They go into crowds, basketball, football, baseball, soccer, you name it, hip-hop clubs, whatever you want to, movie theaters, plays, and they pass notes a lot of people and they sneak it around this is how they communicate because they know we are watching and it is so dumb that all of that is out there in the open and people are just not getting it why would nancy pelosi be at a game come on let's be honest she can't even string a sentence to save her life on air right and she's been doing this for decades and she can't even articulate a thought a simple thought like i would like a cup of coffee she'd be like uh, 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 yeah and uh, uh and the framers and uh coffee that's what you would hear so uh, why is she at a game and who are those people around her nobody's oh are they really are they really that's the thing you have to understand their methods when you've taken away their ability 
to discuss things through technology. When you've taken away their ability to use the postal service or couriers or staffers, because now they know that they have staffers that are compromised. Kind of like I said, Adam Schiff, I got someone in your staff that sings to me beautiful songs whenever I ask. And that is how sources work in the House and in the Senate. This is why when I tell you, we do not want this going to trial because I already know the senators that are Republicans that are going to let this fly. Said again, obviously, aside from, you know, Hune and, and, and Graham and Hoven, there's more. So what you need to think of, alternate ways that they communicate, and it is during these games. This is why they were there. I mean, I don't see how people don't see that. And, you know, they're so slick because they're like, oh, somebody's watching. Yeah. You, the people, are watching. Your phone, your face, your ears, your iPad, your everything, your Google tablet, whatever you want to have, is the news. We are the news, so take control of that. Because you're not going to expect CNN to come out and, and report when one of their own cronies that pay their way is doing something illegal. I mean, do you really think they're going to do that? They're in full panic mode and in, what is it called, survival mode, right? Listen to this short clip, how bite late, because I talked about this, but I'll add to it, about Paul. And scandal backfires on the Biden family, the Pelosi's may be the next to come under scrutiny. An old promotional video resurfaced on Thursday, more than six years after it was uploaded by an energy company which does business in Ukraine. The video starts out with Nancy Pelosi speaking about her efforts in office to push for clean energy. Breaking our crippling addiction to oil. Her message is followed by a promotional statement from her son, Paul, who is a board member of Visc Oil and an executive at its related company, Energy Lab. My name is Paul Pelosi. Of course, I'm on the board of Visco Oil. And Visco's here today to talk about accelerating the future. And that's what Visco Oil does. It uses technology to maximize the use of natural resources. Uh, like oil and other resources. Just two years after this video was uploaded, Pelosi led a congressional delegation to Ukraine to discuss issues like energy security. And her son traveled to the country as recently as 2017 on behalf of the Corporate Governance Initiative, where he now serves as executive director. While the official reason given for his visit was to discuss a youth soccer partnership program with the Ukrainian government, clips of that trip are now reportedly being removed from online. One of those clips was saved by the American Mirror on Twitter with the caption, what's really going on here? You, run a cor- you have a corporate governance business and you're here in Ukraine speaking with representatives from the government, uh, investment bankers, discussing certain things related to the soccer. Exactly. This comes as Hunter Biden faces similar allegations. They used his father's position to make lucrative business deals in Ukraine and China. Kara McKinney, One American News. Want to see more videos like this? So now they're saying this. Now let me add to this. <clears throat> They think energy is a big deal. NRG is just one. Let's talk Dracon Securities. Hmm. I'm dropping that name. That's a firm that has to do with energy trading. That's something very interesting. Now, what's the big deal here, right? That they're using their daddy's and mommy's positions for jobs? No, they're helping launder money. They're in place as security, not to secure their kids. It's not like their kids need a job, you guys. Okay? It's a physical 
statement. It's kind of like you remember back in the days with Game of Thrones, right, where they would marry off the kid. I mean, didn't Carrie marry off his daughter to the Iranians, right? You see what I'm saying? Nothing's changed. This is like medieval, modern version. This is like the 2.0 version. They just marry people off, and now marrying is entering into corporations, having babies, uh, you know, stuff like that. That's that's basically where we're at right now, just so you know. So we have so much going on in that front that they can't even lift their head. They're finding alternative ways to communicate, and people are just not getting it. You are the news. If you see them, pull out your phone. If you walk in, you walk around and you think you heard them, pull out your phone. I mean, these are simple things that you can do to ensure that they don't get away with it. Because it's your job. You're the shareholder in this nation. Why are you investing your life, your children's life, your livelihood, your future, your picket fence, your apartment, your house, your car, into the hands of someone that has made themselves incredibly rich? Speaking of rich. We're going to be talking about Seth Rich. We're going to be talking about Wilkie Farr. We're going to be talking about investments. We're going to be talking about so much stuff in the next hour. It's going to blow your mind. Um, Because, you know, a good report needs to be done, you know, where we can just streamline. I mean, we've talked about this before, haven't we? Like so many times. And, uh, you know, I was actually looking to see, and I have like, what was it, 200 and uh, over 250 episodes just in the year of 2018. Hmm. Interesting. So, where are we going to, when are we going to see things happen? They already are. The fact that the president has no public announcements or visits or anything today is a very big deal. And the fact that he only made, you know, one, you know, nice tweet, um, you know, all about, um, you know, thank you for, uh, you know, uh, your kind words is pretty interesting. He's not tweeting, so he's not in the tweet storm, which means he's busy. Busy, busy, busy. And you know what? He's probably busy. He's probably thinking, how am I going to um, start this? You know, uh, as I've said from day one, uh, it's all about having them pull their own pants down. So now that they've supposedly impeached him, that Ben... <laughs> Okay, let me just say, Brian Settler, I mean, this guy irritates the life out of me. He's so annoying. He's like that round, fat boy that cries and drinks milk all the time and doesn't know what he's saying. The only thing he knows, it's like, you're racist, you're this. You know, he cries wolf, wants people banned, demands that people are banned, and then he's like, oh, they, like, removed all of these, you know, spammy things. Spammy for the left is effective, okay? If you're an effective Twitter account, they want you gone, you know, if they can. So, where am I going with this? So, we have CNN 
coming full throttle. We've got MSNBC currently under attack because now they have to admit they're fake news. And that's why I said the first news agency, I said this, and I'm going to restate it because it's not going to happen now. We're going to see it around 2021. The first news agency to go bust is going to be NBC. Mark my words on that. That's the first one that's going to go. That's the one that's going to be like, oh, we're going to merge with it. It's gone. It's totally gone because they have zero credibility now. Zero. That dude, Matto, screwed it all up for everybody. So now, uh, now speaking of fake news, the attacks are going to be bigger. They are coming in harder. They are coming in faster. They want to silence you. They want to rip your tongue out. They don't want you saying anything. They don't want you doing anything. So it's important that what? If we all start talking, if we all start posting, if we all start pushing and pushing, they can't take out our presence. That's the thing. They cannot take out our presence, no matter how much divisiveness they want to do, because they're so focused on, oh, look, a black man, you know, they didn't even want to talk about the stabbing, you know, in New York. Oh, he's like a, nope, he's a recently converted Islam. He recently converted to Islam. Let's repeat, recently converted to Islam. Mm-mm-mm. So, divisiveness. They're playing on our feelings. But you know what? Those are kind of dying down even with the liberals. They're like tired of it. They're super tired of, I'm offended. Nobody cares anymore. I I don't recognize, like, you need to call me they. Yeah, so not happening. I don't have to. So I could just call you by your name, whatever you want to call yourself. But that's about it. Um, I this. Oh, we need... Um, neutral bathrooms and it's like not happening anymore we need to open up our borders super not happening anymore these are things that even the liberals are now tired of they're tired of it they're completely tired they have worn out the left like there is nothing they can do to not wear them out anymore now, there's a few crazy people, but that craziness will go really quick when the news of the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Roberts, comes out. Because, you know, the whole Judge Collier, I told you about that long, long time ago. But Justice Roberts, now, that's going to be a doozy. I'll see you guys right after this short break. Darn, that time creeps up. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. This is our second hour, and it's going to be popping. See, I am a person that, I guess, you know, I was always the one in college, grad school, professional school, where I would have an assignment, and it would be like 30 minutes before it's due, I would pump out the best thing ever, right? I work well under pressure. I mean, diamonds are made with pressure, right? So when I'm under pressure, and God knows that I am in 
under fire like nobody's business. Um, good thing I have a few extra pounds or else I would be collapsing to keep me straight. But, uh, you know, when I see, uh, there's a, there's an old, uh, saying. Um, that says, don't talk because your nest is dirty. Basically, it's you do not go after someone when your nest, when you have, um, <laughs> you know, a lot to hide. And, uh, yes, from career-wise, I have a lot to hide, and there's protections for that. But for the people like Wilkie Farr coming, very, very big mistake. So let's talk about money. I want to talk about money. So we all know money is done through lawyers. And you're going to be like, no, 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 it's done through the bank. Actually, the bank has lawyers, and the lawyers set up everything. So everything you sign is a legal document. So let's just break it down, lawyers. If you want to open up an LLC, you go to a lawyer. If you want to open up a bank account, maybe as a business, you'll go to a lawyer. Or you'll go to a law firm to do your taxes when you have businesses, right? Speaking of that, pretty funny how Rachel Maddow got her taxes of uh, got the taxes of President Trump um, for the years that President Trump actually was a client of Wilkie Farr. <laughs> Just saying, right? What are the coincidences? But here's where I'm going to tell you some really, really good stuff that no one's talking about. And this is going to be coming to the forefront quite soon, actually, uh, from what I believe. Uh, because, you know, like I always said, when I find something that is incriminating, when I find something that's of interest that I don't think someone else has seen, or obviously I'm not smarter than uh, the three intelligence agencies that confirmed the dossier, okay? Because there were only three. I don't know why people keep saying 17 of them. There were only three. Three, 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 three. Um, I'm going to tell you about Libya. Remember, you know how I know everything about Libya? I keep talking about Libya. I, everything. This is like me just grandiosing what I do, but I know the Middle East quite well. So, Libya, Chile, Colombia. You see how all these nations are in this turmoil, this change of government, but the UN has this massive hold on Libya. Not so much Colombia, but Libya, Libya, Libya. Well, let me tell you why. So you would say, wait a minute, Tori, stop. You said Libya, Chile, and Colombia. Like, are you kidding? Yeah, well, the Middle East and Colombia are very well connected. You'd be like, what, cocaine? Are they, like, high all the time? Well, we know that the drug industry was a very good way for, you know, the shadow government to fund themselves. Mina, 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 Mina. But, and uh, if you read my Mina piece, You'll see a a few things about Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Roberts, in there. But um, here's where I'm going to kind of teach you about commodities in that sense. So get ready for this. So we know energy is like a big deal for these people, right? Energy, gold, diamonds, black gold, gas, the whole nine yards. Well, what if I told you, right? That those companies, you know, you saw NRG, blah, blah, blah. What if I told you we have a lot of these companies 
that were traded on the stock market that have, I don't know, a revenue of over $15 billion a year that then changed their name and then other companies that were created by that company that they were created. Oh, you know, something that sounds like money laundering, just saying, uh, right, um, happened. So I'm going to take you back in time to just last year because this is how you see the panic. Last year, one of the biggest petroleum producers in Texas was a company named Occidental Petroleum Corporation. Only recently, they changed their name. They changed it. And they so changed it because they're working in Long Beach. What? Yeah, they're called... California Resources Corporation, and that one has a headquarters in L.A., but it's organized in Delaware, just like that big, huge 2018 company that was in Texas that no longer exists, right? It is a corporate, it was bought out. So the corporate spinoff or the new name that now is taking in not only has petroleum, but it's got natural gas, natural gas liquids. Ooh, it's engaged in hydrocarbon exploration in California. Mm, hydrocarbon exploration. Because <laughs> the first thing you think about, right, right, all of you, is that, yo, California has a lot of oil. California has a lot of natural gas, right? Because when you think about it, you're just like Colorado, North Dakota, Texas, Nebraska, you know. You don't think L.A., right? Well, this company is actually part of another company, like I said, um, and it was formed, listen to this, in 2014, and it is a spinoff of Occidental Petroleum. Now, they, in 2018, when Occidental Petroleum was at the top, actually acquired Elk Hills Oil Field, which was you, before Chevron had it. And they bought it for $460 million. And that gave them 2.8 million shares. Hmm. Well, here's where panic sets in. Two panics. Wilkie Farr has conducted um, a purchase of that company, California Resources, of one point, uh, it's like a million and a quarter worth of uh, stocks. So California Resource Corporation is now, they purchased just now one point, over 1.2 million stocks, listen to this, with a value per share of one penny, <laughs> one penny, oh wait, Kind of like the way Hunter Biden bought like a million dollar property for like millions of dollars worth of property for like 14 grand, right? So now here they bought, you know, 1.2 million shares in this company that's trading pretty well for one penny. Okay, I'm just saying one penny, one penny. And the companies that bought this one penny are named CA Energy Investor, Colony Capital Incorporated, Colony HB2 Energy LLC and Resources Corporation. And one of these corporations is linked to the guy that does all the commodities trading for guess who? Jeffrey Epstein. And that happened in July of 2019. Panic to cover assets like what's up? And that's not all. Wilkie Farr has been busy. CrowdStrike just popped up their IPO just this June. Take a listen. Today, and that's a cybersecurity firm CrowdStrike 
surging about 80% after its debut just a moment or just a few moments ago. It's up about 76% now. Startup uses cloud technology to detect and thwart attempted cybersecurity breaches and first identified Russian ties to the DNC breach during the 2016 presidential campaign. Joining us now in a first on CNBC interview, CrowdStrike co-founder and CEO George Kurtz. George, congratulations on the IPO. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So, uh, company, the IPO priced at $34 last night with a stock surging more than 75% right now. Do you think it was priced right? Well, we'll let the market dictate the pricing. I think what we're focused on is really building long-term value for shareholders and obviously making sure that our customers are protected. That's the way we built the business, focusing on preventing breaches for our customers. All right, so in terms of what CrowdStrike does, first cloud-native endpoint protection platform built to stop breaches. What does that mean, and how does it differentiate this company from what is really a growing uh, list of other cybersecurity firms? Well, I think what, what is fundamentally different is that we really built the first cloud platform for security. When you think about Workday and ServiceNow and Salesforce, there really hasn't been a, a foundational cloud platform for security, and that was one of our goals when Dimitri and I started the company in 2000. Uh, yeah, and their difference also is that they're Ukrainian and they're experts and manufacturing data to make it look like you were hacked by someone else. They're super experts. 2011, this cloud platform has allowed us to uh, stop breaches and to, to scale uh, different modules that really hit a specific customer need, and uh, it's been well received by our customers. Now, it's a subscription-based... Customers like Clinton's... Customers like the DNC, customers like Obama for America, customers like the DCC, customers like New York State. What is Bill de Blasio doing to the state, of, to the city of New York? It's New York City, sorry. Because this company that's under criminal investigation, right, literally holds a contract, and get this, to protect and cloud store all the documents from the Southern District of New York. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? product to what degree is it just uh, i guess tapping into an existing set of tools that allows these companies and you to detect breaches or how much do you have to constantly either customize what you do uh, or kind of for, forever revise and enhance uh, these uh, detection tools to stay ahead uh, of these breach steps i guess i'm trying to get it to what degree this is just a plug into the network and it scales really well or is it a constant spy versus spy game well, it it's, it's really uh, runs on your endpoint or computer or your server or workload in the cloud. And what we found in the past with traditional antivirus, as an example, we do way more than that, is that signature-based technologies were just not capable of stopping breaches. So a big part of our platform is actually collecting data at scale. We collect a trillion events per week. We use that data to train our machine learning algorithms, and we can identify attacks and breaches that have never been seen before at the speed of the network. And this crowdsourcing as aspect, which is the... Wait a minute. Wait. Is he telling you that his machine learns by collecting everybody's data, and then they can predict attacks? Okay. I'm just... Data mining, right? Okay. Proud and CrowdStrike really has enabled us to identify these attacks that are causing the most damage to large and small organizations around the globe. And they just haven't been able to do that with traditional, I call fossilized uh, uh, vendors that are on the, uh, in the market. This architecture has really changed the game for us.
did change the game for them because you remember that California resources company that I was talking about, the Occidental? Well, you know, they're actually based out of Libya. It's Libyan Investments. That's actually how that company was created. And you're going to be like, well, what does that have to do with CrowdStrike? Everything. We're talking investments. We're talking oil and gas. We're talking Ukraine. We're talking Libya, Libya, Libya. The one that the UN has control of again, leading back to CrowdStrike, all leading back all customers of Wilkie Farr. And you're just like, stop, stop. Yes, they lobby in Libya. They are lobbying in Libya that is in turmoil right now. Lobbying. Okay. This company back in the 60s was uh, created because they uh, discovered Lathrop Gasfield in Cali. And then suddenly, listen, they went international from Venezuela, Bolivia, Trinidad, and the United Kingdom. Gosh darn that crown. That crown just pops up like, a, you know, the random fart at the table. Just, whoa, you know. And then if you actually look into it, it leads back to the same Royal family member Moloch, M-O-L-L-O-C. You've heard me say that name before. And it's like, come on. So not only that, they were also awarded exploration rights in Libya. Guess what law firm does all their stuff there? Oh, gosh. You'd be like, Tori, stop. Yes, that's the way it is. And here's the thing. I not only got that, it evolved into, uh, wait a minute, did I say Venezuela? I did tell you Venezuela. We'll just keep on going. And as the years progressed, Ecuador, the Amazon rainforest, can we keep going? These liberals are telling you how much they love the rainforest. Ecuador agreed to pay $980 million in restitution to the company because they didn't want to agree to what was going on because they seized the company's interest in the Amazon rainforest and they were forced to pay them back. Are you getting this? Oh, oh, and guess what law firms helped on that one too. Like, you're just like, what? Yes. Oh, and then, um, you know, Citigroup owned like energy companies. Let's talk banks, right? Because they just come into the mix. But here's the kicker. Under Barack Hussein Obama, there was a subsidiary where it sold over, what was it? It was close to 400 barrels of gas. Oh, and let me tell you what it was called. China Petrochemical Corporation. You want to guess, you want to guess, do you want to guess where they went to? Oh, do you want to guess who was on the board for that? Let's not, right? Because you're going to be like, stop. And I'm going to tell you something else. This same company bought tons and tons of properties in South Texas and North Dakota for $3.2 billion. So I could tell you some uh, senator right now from North Dakota that lined his pockets with that one back in the day. And surprise, surprise. Jeffrey Epstein's in, interest in that one, too. You'd be like, stop it. Yes, I can continue because we've got, you know, um, so many other uh, corporations that came in over the years. Um, Oxychemical, you know, which they like to call, came in. We got so many people <laughs> mixed. We've got the Mexicans, the Venezuelans, and then it's like, but we've got in the center, the bottom line is we've got Wilkie Farr. Okay. So Wilkie Farr, this is what I want to separate to you guys. Wilkie Farr is a law firm. So is Perkins Coy. So are some other like Simon. We'll get to those. Those are like the little guys. But 
just like any structured company, because the deep state, the global cabal, the shadow government, and those that Pelosi and the rest of the idiot clowns report to, their structure. And there's certain people that do certain things, like divisions in a company, right? Wilkie Farr does a lot of the money and moving of um, commodities. So what is a commodity? A commodity is something tangible that you trade, right? A tangible. So this is what Wilkie Farr's basic thing is. What's a commodity? Oil, gas, gold, silver, and humans. Humans, as in people, as in data, as in your AI profile, there we go. That's one. Then we have Perkins Coy. They're the ones that push legislation, create the contracts, push for drafting executive orders, push for ensuring that the money that it was washed through the Wilkie Farr type dealings, you know, of commodities is washed correctly through another company and then some. And they run all the legal stuff for like these um, charities. Now, if you look at the profiles of all the lawyers, you'll see that all the lawyers for both of these firms have worked in one in one way with the Clinton, the Clinton Foundation, the Crown, the Royal Family of Denmark. I mean, can I keep going? Energy, no, lie. Epstein, I mean, but they all lead back to energy, right? Uh, the Clintons, the Bushes, um, and then they go over there. Oh, they were attorney generals. They were White House council members. They were DOJ peeps, U.S. attorneys. Wow. And they all deal with very specific stuff. This is the picture. Perkins Coy does more the legislation, the negotiation with other nations, the contracts for trade, like airplanes, you know, that Iran got. That was so weird, right? Setting up structures like that. I mean, you know, doing other deals. So here we go, where we've got a company that was helped by a law firm that's based in the U.S., but is it, though? we got to think about that. And they helped China by 400 billion barrels of oil and if I'm not mistaken around that time there was some sort of sanctions going on with Iran and China but you know I digress what I'm trying to point out to you is that all of this is connected like I said the puzzle pieces may look like a million in the box but the minute you drop it it's like 10 and you're like well I could see the picture now it's not rocket science it's there. It's just we see so many parts being put at different places that we can't keep track. And that's the beauty of what the mainstream media has been trying to do, confuse you. Like this, CrowdStrike, suddenly an IPO. So let me get this straight. You pretend that there's a hack of the DNC server, which is not, because then their lawyers, CrowdStrike's lawyers, wouldn't be coming after me saying, hey, do you know where this DNC server is? Because that's basically what they did. Okay, that's basically what they did. You got this image for the server and I emailed them back if and that's if I had any copy of this DNC server of any of these SD cards. You I need to tell you that anything I have had, I've mailed off to the Department of Justice, Tension AG Sessions. And later on, it was Chief of Staff slash AAG Whitaker. So maybe you want to go to them and ask them what I sent them. I mean, if they got them, because they're so dirty there, it could be intercepted. But that's something that you don't want to have in your possession. 
for sure. So bottom line is they're trying to cover their tracks because the DNC server has all of this laid out in like a very streamlined way. Because guess what? Their contacts, their information, their documents, their software, their logarithm. And remember, the only reason Seth Rich was upset and that he mirrored the servers, right, which included emails over a period of time, right, with help, was because... He knew that they were fixing the elections with Bernie Sanders. And he was upset. He was upset that the democratic process was not working. He was not a conservative. He was a centrist. And he really wanted Bernie Sanders to win, right? So then think about it. Let me, let me, let me just put it in a little bit of perspective. So, you know, when Matt Couch and all these other, you know, reporters started talking about Seth Rich, finally, around like 20, late 2016, 2017, um, they all got a letter called, it's a cease and desist letter. Obviously, the more, um, you know, amateur reporters, uh, you know, would continue to talk about it. And they were like, this is freedom of speech. We could do it. And they were right to do so. Others just buckled up because their attorneys at their places were like, shut up. You're not going to talk about it, period. And so then they subpoenaed them. And then, oh, in one of these reporters is a total plant. I've said it, you know, when you see someone align with a company, with an organization, which is a company, but let's call it an organization called Code Pink, right? You step back. Code Pink is one of the oldest operating liberal funding Soros type arms before Soros was Soros. I'm just saying. So one of those are thrown into the mix too. So, one of them's not a good person, and I've said it before, but I'm not going to mention it now because I know that other people are listening, and I just want to, you know, ease their mind. The bottom line is, what I realized was, if you're talking, if they're suing, supposedly Wilkie Farr is suing on behalf of Aaron Rich and his family because they're suffering heartache and pain and PTSD from the loss of their son, which I understand, and that pain, you know, is being exasperated with people talking about it, which I can't relate to. If it was my sibling, my kid, I would want everybody and their mother talking about it across the planet until we find out what happened. So they're suing for that. So everybody gets a cease and desist first, and then if they don't, then they're like, we want information to shut you up. We're going to sue you. What do you have? Where you're like, nope, I'm still going to talk about it. Because then they want you to prove that you have the right to talk about it when bottom line is you got a first you know, amendment right to say anything you want. And let me tell you something. How many times someone threw something like, oh, it's free speech. Oh, so it's free speech to say something like this that's so malicious and evil. Yeah, that's when they don't want to help. But when they want to help, like Wilkie Farr, they'll just take it to whatever extent and say, nope, we have the right to shut you up. I mean, you know, we will. So all of this occurs, right? All of it occurs. And they push on it and... Then they come to me three years later and a Black Friday later, too. And so they come to me, but they didn't send me a cease and desist. I never got one. They just skipped right into the meat of it. And they didn't even say, hey, do you have? They say, we command you to produce it. Dude, I don't take orders. I used to take orders. I don't take orders now. So check yourself. You need to know your place. FYI. So the thing is, they come at me asking, and it's like, oh, I, now I know why you want it. 
because I reported that the election data was on there. So you need that stuff for CrowdStrike, you know, the company that you just IPO'd six months ago to make them look legitimate. Because if you remember correctly, uh, these companies, they IPO and then they go away, IPO and go away. CrowdStrike, though, is so public right now, they can't remove them from the public, right? They're Ukrainian. They're in everything. They're in the election software. And don't forget, $100 million was an investment they got from Google. Oh, remember that piece I played from 2007 where Google was talking about Iraq and the war and stuff? Because, you know, that's what normal tech companies do. They talk about wars and bombings, right? Right right at the cusp of it. And then they give $100 million to companies to create election software and monitoring data with AI that learns how people penetrate so they can stop it. Totally legit. Sounds super legit. Right, guys? Super legit. So right after, we're going to listen more about what he himself tells you, and I'll deconstruct, and what's to come for the new year. Heads up. Tomorrow, it'll be more of that. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. And like all of you, yeah, I feel the same. It feels like time flew today, didn't it? Um, so let's just listen to what George Kurtz, the non-Ukrainian guy face, right, is telling you about cyber threats and uh, on the day of his IPO. Take a listen. So, George, you're using AI for good, right? Yes. Keeping companies safe and protecting them, securing parts of the Internet. The flip side of that is when AI is used for devious purposes or, or, or negative purposes, right? Deep fake being a great example. You have this Mark Zuckerberg video, this deep fake video that is circulating on Facebook right now, for example. Uh, how, how much of a threat is deep fake coming into the 2020? Oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Did you hear that? So you're using AI for good, but we just have to be concerned of people using it for bad stuff. So wait, why would we say that, wait, didn't I say this on New Year's Day, that by the end of the year, you're going to see AI come to the forefront? This is exactly it. The deep fake, the crowd strike, all this, all throughout 2019, this is it. AI is learning how you vote. They look at your phone when you go by a polling station. They can calculate the possibility of you dropping a Republican or a Democrat vote. So by the time you're up to the machine, they already know you're at the machine. And when you click in that vote or if you drop in your ballot, the machine automatically tells the machine, this person voted Republican, mark it. So that way they can fractionalize the votes. This is what they call a smart society. Millie Weaver did a, an amazing job putting that in context. But when you think about it, the election voting software company, CrowdStrike, that prevents threats, meaning what? That we find out what they're doing. The fact that they hide and store the information for us. The fact that they collect, mine, and assess the data with AI. Like I told you before, AI... Your AI profile knows you better than you know yourself. Every time you search, they know you. Every time you click, they know you. Things that you wouldn't even think about yourself, you know, that profile is spot on. Spot on to the T that they know how you're going to vote, how you're going to work, 
Oh, and then we had that thing where it's like preemptive arrests, you know, for terrorists. Mm. Take a listen with this deep fake because this is what they're going to tell you. That video is fake. That was my son. That video is fake. That wasn't me. Presidential elections and beyond. How do you prevent it? How do you counter it? Well, obviously, security is uh, an evolving area. Adversaries continue to change their tactics. And I think the, uh, the good part about AI is that you can evolve it to identify these sort of threats, uh, no matter if it's stealing intellectual property or, or credit card information or uh, breaking in and destroying data on someone's computer. So I think what's important to realize is that at cloud scale and, and, and the way we operate, we have the ability to uh, take all this data, synthesize it, and provide the best pr protection and prevention me methodologies for our customers. I'm going to send it down to John Fort, who I think has a question for you, George, sure. as well. Hi. Uh, I'm curious about your sales and marketing costs, which are uh, falling as a percentage of revenue, but still considerable. How do you see uh, those costs either stabilizing or maybe even eventually going down as you grow CrowdStrike? Well, one of the things that we focus on is strong, strong unit economics. And if you look at our growth rates and what we're spe spending on sales and marketing, we've been actually very efficient in that area. Security, and in our particular area, it's really a greenfield opportunity. There's a lot of frustration with the incumbent vendors. So our sales and marketing spend has really been focused on capturing market share and delivering. Capturing government market share, right? Because, look, the FBI didn't take the DNC server, and we gave them the report, and they trusted us. So now everybody else has to trust us. No, the FBI didn't take the server because there was incriminating evidence on it. Delivering our solution into uh, geographies that you know we haven't been in, or into verticals that we didn't have the, the penetration when we first started the company. So uh, we feel comfortable with the unit economics, and we feel comfortable uh, uh, with the marketing spend, uh, given where we are as a company. What should we measure to understand how the crowd part of CrowdStrike is getting more effective? That crowdsourcing. Um, how are you going to get that crowd bigger? Well, it's really all about the data, and you hear a lot about AI, and AI is great, but it has to be used in the right ways, and it's not a, a panacea. So it's, it's easy to come up with an algorithm, but it's really hard to collect this data at scale and be able to train these AI algorithms. And this is really one of the things that we spent a lot of time on, is building a very scalable architecture to get this data in. Uh, we call it into our threat graph, which is uh, one of the most... Uh, advanced uh, security databases around and it really allows us to get better efficacy and lower false positive rates in detecting these breaches so uh, in my view it's all about the data and we we'll continue to get more and more data it's that network effect and our threat graph gets smarter the more data we actually consume yeah I mean now they have to see what the false positives are like if someone puts a USB key in and they run a script to image a server we need to be able to identify that and if someone at the DNC or somewhere in the government decides that they're going to whistleblow that we can follow that and if someone at the FBI CIA NRO White House whatever wants to print out a document we need to monitor that because we need to make sure that everything is digital and that we have full control so we don't have another Trump presidency. I just translated that for you. George, I want to get your thoughts on, on the broader threat landscape right now. Uh, I know the company came out with a report earlier in the year that noted that there was an increase in Chinese hacking activity last year in the midst of U.S.-China trade tensions. Have you 
Oh, yeah, that's so weird because, you know, most of these U.S. companies are doing deals with China, but hacking. We've seen that continue. Oh, much longer and also, And also along those lines, does it make sense for the U.S. to be labeling Huawei as a national security threat? Well, when we look at the threats, uh, whether it's a nation state, whether it's an e-crime group, obviously, the threats are evolving and they're, and they're rapid. Uh, it, there's hundreds of thousands of new pieces of malware that come out every day. And uh, it's incumbent on companies to be able to protect themselves. And uh, it's just been an area that's been underserved because most of the existing technologies have fo- focused on stopping malware instead of stopping breaches, which is, again, part, part of our core mission. John, I think you had another question uh, as well, right? Yeah, so he just didn't answer about Huawei because maybe they're a customer. I'm just saying. Like, this is how ridiculous it is. Yeah, they're focusing on malware, like people copying stuff, but we're fo- focusing on people putting in SD, USB drives, hard drives to copy stuff. That's what we're looking at. Right? I do. Thanks, Morgan. George, uh, <laughs> there's maybe no category of tech stocks that runs hot and cold like security stocks. I'm wondering, I want your thoughts on that and what investors should really focus on metrics-wise to understand the health of the business versus uh, the hype. Sure. Uh, If you look in the past, uh, there's been a lot of point product companies that have come out and tried to solve a specific problem. Uh, But if you just step back, the problem that most companies are trying to solve is not being breached. And whether that's uh, you know network technology or endpoint technology, at the end of the day, we see the tip of the breach being the endpoint. That's where the data uh, resides, the servers, the endpoints. Oh, did you hear that? He's telling you what they're doing. We're not going to let another Seth Rich happen on our watch. We're going to make sure that if anyone accesses your server physically, not electronically, physically, uh, we're going to stop it. It's going to go on lockdown. There's these gates that are going to come down and it's going to have all these sirens and you watch. We're going to do that. The desktops and that's what we're protecting. Uh, so from that standpoint, if you look back in history, there really hasn't been a foundational cloud company born from the ground up in the cloud. There's been no Salesforce of security. And we think we've taken the right approach and created the right architecture to be that, that fourth pillar of cloud computing. Uh, and that's you know one of the areas that I, I think gets our customers most excited. The ability to rapidly install our technology, just have it work, and uh, be able to scale with us and, and, and use different modules with that single agent architecture. Right? Single agent architecture. You don't need a lot. You just need us. So that way you don't get your server copied. So you need us. And since we did that for you, you need to make sure that you stick to it. That's basically what he's telling you, that this is how it's being done. Now, shifting a few gears, let's step away a little bit from Wilkie Farr and take a listen to the insane NBC experts that allowed the alleged annex of Crimea, the corruption of the Ukraine to happen, and what they had to say. Just just listen to this, and then we're going to go down to the breaking down video where they're telling you that, that Russia is framing the Ukraine. Take a listen. Actually, knew about this uh, attempt to get and preserve information, and full transparency, we're doing some work yourself. Tell us. Well, about I that. was I was urging my former colleagues and and frankly speaking, the people on the Hill. Mm-hmm. I, it was more actually aimed aimed at telling the Hill people get as much information as you can, get as much intelligence as you can before President Obama leaves the administration, because I had a fear that somehow that information would disappear with the senior people who left, so it would be hidden away in the bureaucracy. 
hypocrisy um, that the Trump folks, if they found out how we knew what we knew about their the staff, the Trump staff dealing with Russians, that they would try to compromise those sources and methods, meaning we would no longer have access to that intelligence. So I became very worried because not enough was coming out into the open and I knew that there was more. We have very good intelligence on Russia. So then I had talked to some of my former colleagues and I knew that they were trying to also help get information to the Hill. A lot going on today. Yeah. Mark That's Elfin. why you have the leaking. Exactly. People are worried. People are worried. What are they worried about? Think about it. What are they worried about? Are they worried about what? The what? The leaking? What are they worried about again? Think about it, you guys. Oh, yeah, they're worried about it. I told them that they need to do this. I told them they need to do that. And I was telling my people at the Hill how to cover your butts, but no one was listening to me. Well, the thing is, they're just going to recycle things. Don't they do that? It's like, you know, first they use that he's the racist card. They play that out. Then they go to the Russia card. Then they go to the sexist card. Then they go to the he's a threat to national security card. Then they go back to the Russia card. And, um... I'll find this uh, clip that was insane where they were describing. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just so ridiculous. They were describing how Russia was framing um, the Ukraine, which was so bizarre. Now, before I get into that, I want to drop this because tomorrow we're going to talk about it more. There was an article that I wrote last year, December, 2018, December, where Everybody missed it. It's like I, I, you know, I put it out there for all of you to see and for the people that I know that are watching. But I was pointing, oh gosh, again, that Wilkie Farr, to an attorney at Wilkie Farr in Chicago by the name of Priya Ayar. Now, Priya, let me tell you about her. She worked at the Department of Energy as um, acting, no, she was lead general counsel or something at the Department of Energy. And she oversaw the Uranium One deal. And then she moved over to the Treasury Department. Now, I have correspondence in that article, and I've pinned it to my Twitter. And I've also shared it on the Tory Says page on Facebook, where you can see that she's been told not to comply with any FOIAs and told her what information can be used or cited because it could compromise things. And this was in reference to the mid-year exam. Okay, the mid-year exam. She used to work um, for Kellogg as a lawyer for a year. Then she went to the FCC. Then she uh, worked on, get this, energy. So she worked for a quick stint uh, with BP on the spill and offshore drilling. Then she was deputy general counsel for the environment and nuclear programs. And then Department of Treasury, where she was acting general counsel and then um, uh, deputy general counsel, then acting general counsel. And now she is at Wilkie Farr. And in that, you know, that's what's bizarre. You know, they're deconstructing, they're obfuscating evidence. Tomorrow, tomorrow, we will get into what they're obfuscating. At the end of the year in 2019, we need to know what they're obfuscating. And I think throughout this whole year, I've made it apparent. And what they're obfuscating is their methods. Their methods. I've said it before when talking about Epstein. 
commodities. I've said it when I speak about the DNC, commodities, right? Not the fiat currencies, commodities, commodities, commodities. And in in retrospect, if you think about it, for those of you that have been listening and I've been keeping company to, and, you know, for those of you that are journalists and listening, again, it doesn't matter who gets the story out there. It's just getting it out there. When you're supposed to get it out there, not 10 months later, not three months too late, not five days too late. If you're listening to this, take it. And you can email me and I will give you everything I have. Everything. The bottom line is what we need to do is get it out there to arm the people of the United States with knowledge because knowledge is power. So again, the things that we are concerned about is how they're funding operations that they are doing, how they are funding these operations and how Wilkie Farr is filled with people that have gone through training at the farm. It drives me insane to see it. And it's like, yeah, you know, no big deal. It's just a law firm. No, it's not. Look at their hires. Look at their guys in there. I just put a few of these clowns that are there. All of them, all of them. All of them. I mean, come on. There's so many resignations that have happened, you know, through other law firms that were in other divisions dealing with other things. And it all comes down to obfuscating the server, HRC server, DNC server, whatever you want to call it. Here is Tim Perdon, who actually justified the fact because Perkins Coy did the whole legal stuff, barring the FBI from saying no to getting the server. And here is how a former U.S. Uh, attorney actually says it's okay. Take a listen. If it wants to, there we go. And told him not to have an attorney. Yeah, and so said, hey, don't worry about representation. That's against the law. So Andrew McCabe called on the phone and said, I'm going to send some agents over. Do you want to have White House counsel? He said no. Then a couple of other agents, not McCabe, I don't believe, showed up to interview him. And in that conversation, they did not tell him he needed a lawyer. They did not tell him that lying to the FBI is a crime. Right, I want to be Flynn clear. Flynn said this. Flynn said this. Yes, I, okay, if I have the White House counsel, then McCabe said, if you're going to do that, I'm going to bring the DOJ with yeah. So he's basically forcing, to, which that's not part of the law. If you you are you have the right to representation, of course. And if Mike Flynn said I want a lawyer there, I, uh, I, he could have had one, but he waived that. Right, but, but I'm what I'm he, saying. I don't want to get in the weeds. But anyways, <laughs> my point I think is we're too late. Can't say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I want to want to get this because you're saying that Flynn wasn't set up, but I do want to play something for you because a lot of people are talking. Why do you laugh at that? Uh, the, uh, Michael Flynn is not some babe in the woods. He's not some some guy who's never dealt with government. He spent 30 years in the military. When did he, he lie to him? Let me ask you this. When did he lie to him? He lied to the FBI when they interviewed him. And they... You mean the manufactured 302s that have now been proven to be manufactured that I told you were manufactured in 2018. This video is from 2018. So here's a U.S. attorney laughing at General Flynn, okay? Here's where we're going to get, and, and I don't need to tell you where this U.S. attorney is hanging out now, do I? <laughs> we know the theme of the hour. And they, he, they said On January did you, 24th, did you, correct? Right, correct. Right. Yeah. About what? And what did he lie to him about? He lied him about, apparently about his conversation with Kislyak. Right. How do they know he lied? Because they had the transcript. Right. So they illegally unmasked the guy. Well, and he's an incoming national security advisor talking to the ambassador to Russia. That why is right. that even so a problem? Everybody knows that if you call the ambassador to Russia, you're going to get your you're going to get your phone right. But he was unmasked as an American citizen. Unmasking happens all the time. You want it? What? What if? What if? What? Whoa, what? Kislyak is out trying to recruit assets every day. Russians are out. People, Russians, agents who have their phones tapped.
that? What are they doing? They're trying to find people like, well, not like you and me, but people in the government who might have information for them. And we want to find out who they're targeting, who they're, who they're coming to. The, unmasking, right. there's a procedure but for me, it. It may me, have been followed in this case. You say it wasn't, but there is a procedure for that. Yeah, and they, they illegally got... Yeah, that procedure is usually civil litigation, just so you know, heads up. The Pfizer warrants. <laughs> no, no. They were using, right. they were using a Russian dossier that even Jim Comey now, when he testified, I think it was last week, was like, I don't know where it came from. I don't know what it is. I don't even know if it's been verified. You can't go get a FISA warrant without verifying the and corroborate all the information. The, the, which they did. The FISA warrant in this case. So Jim Comey's lied. The FISA warrant in this case was issued by the FISA court, and it was subsequently reauthorized, I think it was four or five four times. times, by four or five different judges. Every single one because of them. Because they were lied to every time. Every single one of those judges by John Roberts. And, and <laughs> I, I, those, that's how, that's how FISA warrants are. Right. 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 John Roberts. That I think is very interesting. I want to get your take on this. So do you know the name Felix Sater? <laughs> yes, another one of Trump's inside circle. How do you know that name? I, I'm, I don't know. So back, back on 2000, I think it was 15, Felix Sater was working with Michael Cohn to set up the Moscow Project. Okay? Okay. So Felix Sater's got a history of being involved with Russia. Uh, he was part of like a mafia situation. He'd been, you know, been had some run-ups with the law. All right. Yeah. He was on Chris Hayes' show a while back. I want to share with you a little bit about what he said. Make sure we have the volume of guys so Tim can hear this. But listen closely to what Felix Sater says, and then think back to the possibility of a setup in the context of what's happening here. It's established that you worked with the government as an intelligence asset. Right? Yes. Uh, there is no parentheses, no bookend, no close on that relationship, correct? No, there is no bookend and close end. And I would uh, work with my government in any capacity that they would ask me today, tomorrow, until the day you I You worked with the FBI? Yes, I did. You worked with Andrew Weissman, who yes, is uh, a lawyer of the DOJ, yes, right? Yes, he's not. So all the dirty people he worked with. But this is the most important closing here, you guys. Because even though this is a year old, can you see how pertinent this is so you can understand? And my cooperation agreement. He signed your cooperation agreement. Andrew Weissman now works for Robert Mueller, correct? Yes, he does. Okay. People look at this and they maybe start to think two and two equals four. You're a guy who knows how to talk to people and pass information along. You have a relationship with the FBI and you've got a relationship with Andrew Weissman. Andrew Weissman's currently working for Robert Mueller. Are you working for Robert Mueller? I'm not working for Robert Mueller, nor have I ever worked for Robert Mueller. Have you cooperated with the FBI in its investigation? I'm sorry, I cannot answer about anything about any ongoing investigations that are happening. That's not for me to say. That's not Alex Jones and InfoWars. That's right. Chris Hayes, MSNBC. He's got a cooperation agreement. He's working with some investigation. Sure. With yeah, some... I mean, when, when you do business with criminals, you're going to run the risk that some of those criminals have flipped to the FBI. From that there point, are, doesn't it seem odd that all of a sudden he shows up with Michael Cohen in 2015 about a Moscow project? Uh, uh, what seems odd to me is that at this point in the presidency, the national security advisor, the, the campaign chairman of all presidents pled guilty. And today we learned, today we learned that the president's inauguration committee joins the Trump organization <laughs> and the White House and the Trump campaign, we now had the inauguration committee, they're all under criminal investigation. So what I'm saying, we were going to talk about what's going to happen with Trump. <laughs> I think Trump's in deep trouble. I think, the, the again, the, the events are getting faster and faster. 
Uh, we're going to find out what Flynn told Mueller, and it's it's not going to be good for the president, his campaign, those his inner circle. My my theory is that that's the that's the American half of the of the conspiracy with the Russians who who uh, uh, were either uh, directed to hack the DNC or after they'd hacked them were directed when to release those documents uh, through. Okay, so first of all, let's commend Chris for his composure. I would probably be there throttling him across the table. But you know what? This is it. This is where you let this live on the Internet and say, what were you saying about the manufactured 302s and how everyone's going down for crimes put on? Uh, you know what? Is he working anywhere in the government? We need to find out. WikiLeaks, that there were people on the campaign that were the American half of that. I believe Flynn probably knows a lot about that. I believe that's what he's been telling Mueller about. And I think we're getting very close to the day that Mueller's going to indict the American half of that conspiracy. And there's going to be a lot of people really close to the president, some maybe even named Trump. Okay. Oh, so now he's saying that President Trump's children are going to go down for the DNC hack because it was an American part of it. Wait a minute. So you're saying that Russians didn't hack it, but Americans did, and they were all in the Trump circle. What if they weren't in the Trump circle and they were in the DNC circle, and then they reached out to centrists or people that they heard from a friend and a friend and a friend that could help them get that information somewhere? But I digress. Maybe Wilkie Farr wants to interview this guy. He sounds like he knows everything. At that point, Mueller's going to have to make the decision, is he going to indict the president? While I think he has the power to do that, I think there, there's a DOJ memo that says that the DOJ shouldn't do that. I think Bob Mueller is a rule follower. I think he will follow that memo. I think those indictments will come, and then Mueller's going to issue a three, 400-page report that's going to have all of this in detail. And you and I can read it. We can go through, and it's going to say the president did this. And he knew so this, I should email Chris and tell him to have him back on and talk about this. And that afterwards, here's what he may or may not have done to obstruct justice. And that's going to go to Congress, and then we're going to have a decision to make. The, the Chamber of Commerce Republicans... In the U.S. Senate, John Thune, John Barrasso, John closer to home, right? Oh, wait a minute. Is he naming off all the Republicans that I told you are snakes? John Thune, Barrasso, what? John closer to home, Hoven, listen. They're going to have to decide in the face of all of that. Huh. Just called out the partners. With the president. Are you listening? Start to break with the president because Idiots what he's done, pants what's down. alleged here, is just going too far. That's going to be the really interesting part of it. So this. you think that clearly there's going to be impeachment proceedings? No, I, no, I think I think that the House. Uh... How, did, how did this even happen? Time's up. Oh my gosh. Okay, guys, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> same time, same place, and we will revisit this because tomorrow is going to be pretty popping for the end of 2019. God bless all of you. See you same time, same place tomorrow from all of us here at Red State.